Welcome to the VoiceOver Junction, the podcast where industry experts and thought leaders share pragmatic, concrete advice that you can use today in your own voiceover business. I'm your host, Michael Sanchez. Before we start, please be sure that you've subscribed to the VoiceOver Junction wherever you listen to find podcast programming. Now, let's learn a little bit more about this week's guest. Mike Tobin is a bilingual voice actor based in Ottawa, Ontario. Both an Anglophone and Francophone, he has worked for major brands such as Honda, Amazon Echo, Spotify, Staples, Toyota, and the Government of Canada. A born performer and entertainer, Mike has been an MC, an after-hours DJ, and even a competitive snowboarder. To learn more about Mike, visit bilingualvoiceover.ca. Mike, welcome to the VoiceOver Junction. It's a pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor. Well, Mike, we're going to just jump right into it. So um, I mentioned at the top, you are an Anglophone and a Francophone. I, I noticed you grew up in uh, in uh, Montreal. Correct. And I noticed that they speak a different dialect of French than we might encounter in Paris. So can you talk about the differences in those two dialects and which yeah. ones you specialize in? It's, it's absolutely, uh, you're absolutely right, Michael, is that um, in the French language, we, there's, there tends to be kind of, I would say, three main differentiations that we encounter in voiceover. Um, one being French, you know, international, sort of a, a polished, proper French, which will come from France. Um, then there's also, if they drill down a bit, a French Parisian, which would be localized to Paris. So very, very specific there. And then on our side of the, uh, of the pond, so to speak, is French Canadian. Uh, and, but even within, you know, within French Canadian, there's obviously different tones and dialects and things like that. But I would say that I am French Canadian having, having grown up in, uh, in Montreal and, uh, having that, uh, that accent, so to speak. As far as being being a bilingual voiceover, um, can you tell me the differences uh, that a producer and maybe even an audience might have from a French language versus an English language, or are those going to be pretty similar? Hmm. Um, I think you know, in English, really, what I encounter in way of in way of work, it, it's it's important to know who the audience is going to be, because a lot of times uh, English content is going to be produced for North America at large. So it has to be kind of accessible to both American markets and Canadian markets. Um, some, some stuff in English will target more specifically Canada if it's a, you know, a specific spot for Canada only. And then French Canadian obviously is tar targeting uh, primarily Quebec, but also the rest of uh, French, the French speaking population in Canada, which is, is pretty big, actually. So do you find that there's a difference in the way that you would deliver a French voiceover for like a car dealership versus an English delivery? I I would say in in the delivery itself, no. Um, but there are nuances in in the language. And this is where um, it becomes really interesting when you work with um, directors and uh, coaches and stuff in the unique individual language. Like one thing in French that was often pointed out to me by coaches and directors is that sometimes the, the intonation um, or the emphasis in certain things will be on a different word in the sentence. And you might, it might be counterintuitive um, when you're, you, you know, especially if you're doing the content in both languages, um, there might be an emphasis on a certain pronoun or something like that. Whereas in the French, maybe it might be on the verb. So it's, there, there is some uh, uniqueness uh, in performing, but from a performance style, I mean, whatever the, the read calls for, 
um, will probably be similar in both languages, unless that's being specified. Um, one of the things that I try and do um, with, especially with my demo content, is to produce what I like to consider like a carbon copy. A lot of people will produce a unique demo. Um, as far as I'm concerned, if I'm going to market myself as a bilingual voice actor, I need to be able to deliver the same content of the same quality uh, with the same performance in both languages. So if you go to my commercial demo, um, it's identical brands and reads and stuff in both languages. Uh, and actually, just recently, I recorded uh, my new corporate narration demo, which will be coming in the coming weeks um, in both languages. Again, carbon copies. So that's what I try and do. Um, but yeah, delivery should be similar, but there's there's some nuances for sure. So when you, as a bilingual uh, voice actor, do you have to go to somebody that specializes in a bilingual demo production? Or can you get away with going to someone that just typically specializes in English? Mm, it's a it's a really great question, and it's one that I kind of had to juggle for a while, especially when I was um, shopping for my commercial um, demo producer. And <clears throat> what what I encountered was that obviously, you know, the United States there are three hundred and thirty plus million people. Um, Canada has about thirty three plus million people, so we're about ten percent of the population, and that pretty much goes across all trades and different things like that. So our choices are more limited. And that's not to say that there aren't great voiceover demo producers here in Canada. Um, it just happened that the ones I wanted to work with um, were specifically based in the United States. Um, but what I ended up doing was um, selecting demo producers um, that I felt were the ones I wanted to work with. They, as I said, they happen to be U.S., um, but then I come back and I produce the French voiceovers to deliver to them to mix in. So I will actually source um, a French-speaking director to work directly with, um, with the scripts that have been properly translated and localized. Again, something that I don't, you know, I can do a rough myself. Um, but with something as important as a demo, I want to put it in the hands of a professional. So um, fortunately, I have one of my peers who's a professional translator. Uh, she does a great job tuning everything up to make sure that um, not only is all the content there, but everything is localized for uh, French speaking Canada. And then we do the recordings with the director, send them to the producer and they work their magic. And I've got a carbon copy demo. Sure. So for our um, our audience who doesn't quite understand what localization is, can you talk a little bit more about that and what's involved? For sure. Um, you know, the languages across the world, there, there are uh, languages that are common to many countries. So like we were talking about earlier, French is spoken uh, not only in France, but also in countries like Belgium or Africa, uh, Canada you know, uh, some uh, southern countries and different places like that. And so wherever you go, there's going to be a flavor. And not only with regards to the accent, but also the words that we choose to use. So there there are things that are said in France that just aren't said in Quebec and vice versa. Um, so localization is a really, really important part of getting the message right for that targeted audience. Less of my job, typically it's going to be a, a copywriter's job or a translator's job, but it's super, super critical. Um, it makes all the world a difference because if you have words that don't resonate with that targeted audience um, that are, you know, maybe from another country, 
it just doesn't make sense and and the message won't uh, won't land right mike talk to me a little bit about um your training especially as a um bilingual voice actor you know i can talk about mine and you know my coaching and everything but you you have double duty essentially <laughs> and and how does how did that work for you well it, strangely enough um it it's training that was you know almost lifelong that for many many years i didn't realize was going to contribute to my voiceover career um you know, as I like to tell people, sometimes you, when you're, when you grow up in a very, very bilingual place, it just kind of happens. It, it's not something that, um, that you work towards or that you're conscious of. It just kind of happens. Um, you know, you go as a kid to play in the park and there's English speaking kids and there's French speaking kids and you figure it out, you know, and you make friends. And as you grow up and you become a teenager, you know, maybe you're, you're dating and, you know, you're trying to figure it out and you gotta, you know, open up the market <laughs> sure. a little bit more, having more <laughs> options. <laughs> I know it sounds kind of, kind of silly, but, you know, language is a beautiful door opener. Um, so you're able to make more friends and connect with more people. Uh, and that's a big thing, in, especially in, in a cosmopolitan city like Montreal, um, where there are not just English and French, but many other languages spoken. Um, but when you cover off English and French, you're doing, you're doing pretty well. Do you have like a language that you consider your home base? Like is English your home base language? Is that the language you think in? Is French the language you think in? How, how do you deal with that? <laughs> That's, I, I love the question because um, it's kind of where the, the lines get blurred. And maybe I didn't answer enough. You were asking about training and things like that. But, um, you know, language foundations were based. And I, I'll go a little bit deeper into, you know, I, of course, I, I learned from a very young age to speak French. English is technically my mother tongue. Both my parents were English speaking first, but both are actually bilingual as well. And they both worked for big companies where their jobs were, required them to work in both languages. So um, from a growing up point of view, that's kind of how it happened. Um, I was really fortunate that through my schooling, there, was, uh, there were opportunities to take more advanced French courses. So by the time I graduated high school, my French was almost equivalent to my first language, English. So um, even though technically I'm, if you want to air quote, Anglophone first, um, my French language is, is you know, not far behind. Um, and then the important part in, in voiceover is the delivery. And so while, you know, as long as you can deliver and sound convincing, uh, from that point of view, I do market myself as a, a native bilingual. So speaking as efficiently in English as I do in French. Um, and sometimes, you know, depending on who you listen to, there are people who speak really poorly in both both languages. So it's, um, you know, it, it happens. Um, but as re with regards to thinking and things like that, um, the lines do get blurred. And, you know, there are occasions where I, I absolutely will think, think certain things in French. Um, there are expressions that, you know, I'll, I'll say to my wife and she'll, she'll sort of shake her head. And what does that mean? I'm like, well, hmm, if I had to break it down, there's not really a direct translation. So, yeah, there's a lot of nuance there and, and the lines get blurred. So. So, Mike, if if someone is a um, is a aspiring voice actor uh, who happens to speak two languages, um and 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 they're interested in in learning more about 
the best way to go about training. Do you have some tips for them to to think about as they search for that perfect coach or that you know perfect program that they'd like to join to help them along their way? Hmm. You know, whenever whenever I get asked about like coaching or growth or things like that, I I really want to in, encourage people to do um, sort of a proper self assessment, just to to be honest with yourself and also to seek outside um, guidance and opinions of, of where you're at. And that applies to anything, whether it applies to your technical proficiency with audio gear or your performance proficiency or also your language proficiency. Um, so there are, you know, there are people, if you seek them out, who will be able to tell you, um, you know, you, you yes, your language is strong enough or Perhaps you should work on your dialect or things like that. Um, and again, also be fair with yourself as to what you want to what you want to achieve. If you want to work, uh, you know, eighty percent of the time in English and do the occasional French piece here and there, um, just in certain genres, then maybe the requirement to, you know, your for your level of language to be at a certain place is not going to be as stringent as if you want to perform in some of the more in-demand genres. Like if you want to do TV commercials, you need to be spot on. So, you know, maybe um, e-learning and things like that, they might be more lenient, again, depending on who the client is, where they're based. Um, they might be just fine with, uh, with your accent if you have one. And if you do want to get rid of accents, um, there are accent coaches and dialect coaches that work specifically on that and they can help you dial things in the direction that you need. Following that thread of um, kind of deciding how active you want to be in which in which particular language, what do you hear consistently wrong or consistently off and, and help our listeners to avoid something like that as they pursue their uh, bilingual VO? Hmm. Mm, that's a really loaded question. I I don't know that um, that there's stuff that I hear out there because I think when it gets to a point that um, people are being hired for um, for for like work for brands and things like that, um, the stuff that I'll hear out in market is typically going to be um, either commercial or explainers or things like that. You know, I wouldn't have access to e-learnings or, you know, some of the other genre, uh, genres behind the scenes, so to speak. Um, but what I will say, kind of tying back to um, talking about localization, um, is if, if you're going to work um, in a second language, and this can apply to, uh, you know, someone who's working in English on another language or whatever is their second language, um, is to be really mindful of the content that you're sent and the scripts and to ask questions and to sort of um, try and be a resource um, to, to your clients. Um, what I encounter from, from time to time is, um, you know, sometimes, not a lot, but sometimes people will use machine translation. And if your, your language skills are strong enough, you'll see it. And even more so when the words come out of your mouth, you'll feel it. Um, so it's to, to be that resource because, you know, sometimes people don't know any better or they, they, that's what they've chosen to do and they think it's okay. Uh, and that's fine. But if we tie it back to that localization piece, um, it's really important that 
not only you have your performance skills, but that you have that ability to pull apart a script, pull the words. And if something feels off, don't be shy to say something. Um, just to ask the question, hey, I came across this and it feels kind of awkward. Could you have your, you know, translation team check this out for me or something like that? Do you find that uh, f folks who hire you, they're uh, pretty receptive to that sort of feedback? Do you encounter problems? Because I know um, sometimes, you know, we don't want to rock the boat or anything, but do you, how do you find people receive that sort of uh, feedback? Yeah, it's a, that's a great question. And um, it, it always should be, um, you should be mindful of how you deliver um, any questions or, or feedback that you might have. And just often it's asking permission to, you know, are they open to some feedback or things like that? Um, I would say nine times out of 10 clients that I work with, especially when I'm working um, with direct clients, um, so with no producer or anything in between, um, are often very, very receptive to that kind of thing. Um, but again, it's, uh, it's about kind of knowing where your place is in the grand scheme of things. Um, obviously, if you're working on a project where you're connecting into a big studio and there's engineers and there's a language director and there's a whole bunch of people involved, um, that might be a time just to be quiet and just read the words. <laughs> and chances are that that problem won't come up during those kind of sessions. But uh, yeah, it's just about being uh, professional, courteous, um, delicate, um, diplomatic, so, so to speak. Um, but yeah, a lot of times uh, people do appreciate that. And I think that that's, you know, one of those un unsung kind of marketing techniques where, you're not just delivering the, the content to your client, you're delivering a, an enhanced service. You're showing a concern for the finished product. Um, so I think that goes a long way and, and hopefully that'll get you repeat business and, and become an, an ally and a, a resource to your clients. I wanna give a little context for my next question. Um, sure. One of the things that I do, I, I don't market myself as a bilingual voice actor. Um, the only thing I'll do in Spanish are IVRs because mm -hmm. they, they tend to be a little bit more forgiving and I can hold it together <laughs> for an IVR just long enough to, to, sure. you know, to do it. Um, but one of the things that I've encountered and I've just sort of set what I do, but I'd love to hear what you do when you are doing a, a, a French voiceover. How yes. do you pronounce the English words? Do you pronounce them with a French accent? Do you pronounce them with an English accent? Are there contexts in which you would make a choice between the Ooh, two? Yeah, that's a really good question. And it goes way beyond uh, IVR. And it's something that does come up quite a bit. Um, so whether it's whether it's phone systems, I, we talk about IVR, that's phone system recordings, but um, also in, in e-learning or anything like that, um, you're right. Like sometimes there'll be, especially a brand, like there are some companies that are hardcore opposed to any other pronunciation of their brand. And there are others on the complete opposite end of the spe spectrum where they're like, yeah, and we like it said like this for, for that language. Um, same, you know, same thing goes for technical words sometimes like in e-learning and things like that. There might be um, some technical language or a term that is uh, an English term, but it needs to be said in the other language. So yeah, it's a really great, great question. And often, there, I don't think there's any hard and fast rule. I think it's a client preference. 
Um, so again, it's in in training your eyes. Um, you know, part of the part of the the voiceover process, especially when you're self recording. Uh, so you you book a job and you get a job, and they send you the information, they send you the script. The first first part, the critical part, is having a look at that script and picking it apart, saying it out loud before you even hit record, and seeing if there's anything that jumps out. And if there are some of those terms um, that, you know, language is a question, it's an immediate email back to the client. Hey, I didn't see any guide on this. Could you please provide some guidance as to how you'd like these words pronounced? Um, one of the things that I'll do sometimes, if time is of the essence, and sometimes, you know, clients are busy, you can't get a hold of them right away, you want to get the recording done uh, and have it ready for them because the timeline's tight, just record the options that you have. So if you can think of three ways to say it, uh, record the line three ways with the alt, so to speak, uh, and offer that to the client, um, you know, maybe as the, the main one that you would think. And then later on, have, uh, you know, alternate options and let them know, hey, I wasn't able to get a hold of you, wasn't sure how to pronounce this, so I've given you three options. But when you can, try and reach out to them and find out what they prefer. When you're providing clients those options, do you provide actual three separate, let's say, uh, WAV files? Or do you just read it three options right in a row on, onto the same, you know, onto the same recording? Hmm. Um, I guess it kind of depends on the on the finished product, but most of the time, um, I'll probably just verbally mark it as alternate, you know. So if you're saying you're reading something, blah, 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 and then alternate, blah, 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 and give the full sentence typically um, so that it's easier to manipulate and edit into the, uh, the process. Sometimes um, what I will do, and this is, you know, it depends on how, you know, how much you want to dive into editing and things like that. But I'll actually like record the alternates and then try and splice in as little audio as I can get away with into the original take. And then multiply that over two or three times so that everything except that specific word is the same, but it's just that pronunciation that's different. So that that way you, you retain the the consistency of performance throughout. So uh, without talking um, specific numbers, do you do you charge different rates for different languages or is that all across the same? So for me personally, because I see this as a true um, yin and yang, you know, opposite sides of the coin, I do not charge differently for English and French. Um, I know that there was and sometimes still is a school of thought where um, certain languages are quote unquote rarer, um, like it's easier to find male voice actors that speak North American English than it is to find male voice actors that speak French Canadian. Um, and that's fine. But as far as I'm concerned, um, I'm not charging any premium for any language. If you want the job in English, it's X. If you want the job in French, it's X. If you want the job in both, it's two X. <laughs> so. So last question. Yeah. Tell me about this competitive snowboarding business, Mike. I, <laughs> I when I saw that, I, I said, this is obviously a mistake. So, Mike, tell me about it. <laughs> tell us about it. What's this competitive snowboarding? 
No, it's it, it is not a mistake, and it's just you know we have. Um, I, I often think of uh, oh, what is his name of uh, Vince Vaughn um, in one of one of his movies. Often, or not Vince Vaughn, the other actor that's in uh, Couples Retreat, always talking about his quarterback stories and all you know his stories of high school football and things like that. So for me, it's a, a lot of it is like that. Is that in you know in my younger days, we'll say. Um, I, I was very much into, um, skateboarding and snowboarding. Um, they were a big, big part of my life. I mean, my, my first job was in a skate shop. Um, and so then subsequently after that, I was on a skateboarding demo team that kind of toured around Montreal doing shows in shopping centers and stuff like that. Um, even had the opportunity to do a, um, a demo with Tony Hawk at one point at the Olympic Velodrome. Um, oh, wow. This was many years ago before it was converted to the Biodome, so that kind of dates myself. But Tony Hawk was a big thing at that point and uh, a true gem of a gentleman along with all, all of his other buddies from California. They were they were a lot of fun. So that was the, the skateboarding part of it, and that easily uh, translated into snowboarding. Um, I had been in skiing for many, many years, and as snowboarding took hold, uh, it took hold of me. And I was a, an instructor for a little while and then started uh, snowboarding competitively, um, primarily in halfpipe and uh, ended up, you know, doing well and being sponsored and having a lot of good fun at uh, competitions and things like that and going to, to nationals. And, you know, like all good things, they come to an end eventually, but uh, <laughs> had a lot of fun doing it. And uh, it's, it's definitely, uh, you know, still get on the board every once in a while and had the kids learn and everything like that. So it's, yeah, it was a, it was a good, good part of uh of my, my youth, so to speak. <laughs> well, that's just fantastic, Mike. Well, Mike, uh, thank you again for, for appearing on my podcast. It's, it's been a real pleasure to get to hear about your experiences. And, and, and I really do appreciate you sharing your wisdom with the rest of, uh, of our audience. So thanks so much. I thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Well, folks, that's it for now. If you've enjoyed today's episode of The VoiceOver Junction, I hope you'll consider subscribing and leaving me a rating. I'm your host, Michael Sanchez. I'll see you on the next one. has been an evergreen voiceover production.